This is J.G. Hertz, the General Mar Talker on Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to Season 6, Episode 21 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike. I'm John. And today we are recapping our series on Michael Piller, looking at the five pilots which he wrote, which made it to the air. Uh, And uh, yeah, just uh, trying to draw some conclusions or whatever. Yeah. So... The first pilot that he had written was uh, Deep Space Nine, Star Trek, Deep Space Nine. It was a show that aired in the 90s, 1993, to be precise. Um, He had been the writer of Next Generation, the head writer of Next Generation, and he created, co-created along with Michael Piller, the third, I'm sorry, fourth Star Trek show. And uh, was also the um, the writer of the screenplay. Wait, you okay? So you're counting the animated series? Hell yeah, so, I'm counting the okay. animated series. I was just making sure because it gave me pause, and I'm sure that there was somebody else out there when you said the fourth Star Trek show. They were like, "Wait a minute, one, two, oh, the animated series." So just to clarify that, I always make a point of that. You know, when when no one else does. <laughs> And then, you know, I go on to the Babel conference and everyone's like, uh, Standard Orbit keeps on saying that there's only one good episode of the animated series. What's up with that? And then, like, there's everyone's like, no, there's not. There's lots of good episodes of the animated series. And by Standard Orbit, they mean me because Drew hasn't <laughs> seen all of them yet, right? Okay, there you and, go. And I'm always saying there's only one good episode of the animated series, and that's Yesteryear. <laughs> And all the rest are are, are crap. Yesteryear is the Spock one, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, there's even like another thread which has started up where where it's like, uh, what are some of your favorite episodes of the animated series? And it's like, boy, there's all this animated series love out there. I don't get it because that show is crap, but <laughs> it existed. <laughs> and it counts. That's, it counts. It yeah. counts. Yeah. Yes. So I always make a point of including that as one of the Star Trek series. Fair so, enough, fair enough. Yes. But we're not talking about the animated series. We're talking about a good Star Trek series, and that would be <laughs> Deep Space Nine. The yeah. best Star Trek series? Yes. Yes, for sure. Hands down. No, no, que- question. no question in my mind. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what do you think about the pilot? Oddly enough, uh, I felt that, the the pilot was not the strongest pilot of all of the series. That that nod still goes to Voyager, but um, I will say that uh, Deep Space Nine, at the very least, like going back and looking back at things, it really had like all everything that everybody came to love the show for was there in the beginning, and I, I think it's a hell of a pilot in regards that there was some real serious world building that happened that set the stage for everything to come. Yeah, I mean, it's an excellent pilot. Uh, is it the best Star Trek pilot? I don't know. Let's talk about that in a minute when we get to Voyager. Uh, right. I, I do think that it's a very good pilot, but I don't know, maybe not the best. But w- one of the things that that I will say is that I get more out of it now than when I first 
watched it, you know? And I think maybe that's because initially the show was much more, you know, sort of episodic in nature. And once it became sort of a cohesive whole, you kind of see Emissary's place in that and and really sort of uh, appreciate it more. Um, But, you know, I I did think it was amazing. I mean, I, I literally became a Star Trek fan within you know, a month of Deep Space Nine airing, like a month prior. So it was like this weird thing where it's like, okay, there's the the movies, and oh, this Next Generation thing is pretty interesting, and it's like, now look at this. There's this weird thing which is starting up, yeah. and it's all weird and different. And it really sort of captured my imagination, and then it became, you know, at the time, the best television show ever. Well, I mean, I'll definitely say that uh, the opening hook on is definitely probably the best opening sequence of any Star Trek pilot because yeah. to go back to everybody's uh, like favorite moment from the Next Generation and then like retcon in this new lead character and make his life start with tragedy and have him hate Picard, who was beloved by that point, and make it understandable why he wouldn't trust or love Picard was pretty brilliant. It reminds me of this book that I'm in the middle of reading right now mm. called Lost Stars. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll talk about that later. All right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, on the whole, pretty awesome stuff, right? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Well, you know, Pillar, as we've, we've discussed in recent weeks, is someone who uh, was not one to just sit around and and, and, and rest on his accomplishments he was always challenging himself to do the next big thing. And the next big thing came two years later in 1995 when he co-created Star Trek Voyager along with Berman and Jerry Taylor, and he co-wrote the script for the pilot, Caretaker, along with Jerry Taylor. So what do you think about Caretaker? I think I spoiled it a couple of minutes ago. Uh, I think it's the best Star Trek pilot uh, you know, it, it, like I wasn't there. I don't have a, I don't have a ground level reaction to the Star Trek pilot of the 1960s. Mm-hmm. You know, saw that much later. But um, yeah, I, I mean, Voyager's engaging. It's a good pilot. It's, and I think that I mean we'll touch on this. I'm sure when we talk about the other, one of the other pilots. But it's self-contained. Like it's, it's a movie. It's written as self-contained as a movie is, which is in and of itself, I think that sort of what sets it apart from Deep Space Nine, because Deep Space Nine's pilot ends very much as, okay, we set it up and here's a show, whereas Voyager's pilot, to me, feels very much more like, even though you would want to, you could walk away from this and say, oh, that's a movie and I'll get another one in a couple of years, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I would agree with that. You know, it's weird because, like, by the time Voyager came out now, now it had been, you know, two years since I became a Star Trek fan. And I was just like, ah, new Star Trek. This sounds amazing. Oh, my God. They're putting good guys with bad guys. It's going to be so dark and gritty. And it's going to be, oh, I have this vivid memory of, I don't know why I remember this. I don't know why I remember this. But I have this vivid memory of being at my friend's house and his brother who knew I was a Star Trek fan, was like, um, what do you think about this new Voyager show? Do you think it's going to be any good? And I remember 
saying this to him as my friend for whatever reason was like beating the crap out of me. <laughs> like he had okay. me in like a chokehold or something like that. All like right. he was going to like throw me to the ground. And I remember like being like in midair having this conversation <laughs> with his brother and saying, this could be the best Star Trek ever. And then just like landing on the ground. And wow. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I remember that, but is it a metaphor for how you feel about Voyager as a series? <laughs> <laughs> no comment. <laughs> but but yes, uh, spoilers. Yes. Um, no, I, I, I it's, it's weird, though. Yeah, because I mean, like, that was my sentiment. That, that's the point of that story is that was my sentiment going into that series was this is going to be the best Star Trek ever. And I remember watching that pilot and just being like, this is amazing. Like, I watched it. It was it was the, the night before my very first high school final. And I, I watched it live. And I was like, this is amazing. I went to school the next day, took my final, came home, watched it again. Was like, this is amazing. And there's no doubt in my mind that when I saw it, I thought it was hands down the best Star Trek pilot ever. But yeah. look, looking at it now, while I do think it is extremely solid, I think that, and I don't know whether it's just because of, you know, uh, the fact that maybe it has more to offer over time or maybe because of what came after, but now I'm kind of thinking that Emissary is better. I don't, Interesting. Yeah. But it's still, I mean, Voyager, mm. the pilot is really solid. I think the only point where it really loses me is when they go over to the satellite or whatever and it's like you know old time country cookout uh, whatever I like it is. old time country cookout I'm just I like, like really guys come on do we have to do this <laughs> do we on. always have to do this yes we do it's a nod to all of the sci-fi traditions they do that in, in emissary too but at least when they do it there it's baseball so you know yeah oh, that's yeah Okay. Even though it, even Fair though enough. it is it is Cubs, it's very hidden. But it, it's the Cubs, which which is the team that they're. But whatever, you know, <laughs> nothing's perfect. Not not even not even emissary. Not even Deep now, Space Nine is perfect. Complete disclaimer: This is coming from a Sox fan. So this is coming from a Sox fan. Yes, that's true. So there you go. Yes, and and I don't hate the Cubs. Nor should you. Nah. You have nothing to fear from them. I'm way too busy hating the Royals and the <laughs> Twins and the Tigers, the teams that matter to the Sox. So There you go. All right, so Voyager, really good. We're in agreement. Yes. Deep Space we are Nine. In agreement. Deep Space Nine, also really good. Yeah. Yes, our okay. controversial views. You heard <laughs> yes. it here first. But Voyager, you know, I mean, that was launching a network, and, you know, so you could say in some ways that... Uh, Michael Piller launched this network, right? And, yeah. you know, a, as such, he was probably held in pretty high esteem on on, on said network, UPN. And uh, they said, if you ever want to oop it up uh, with us again, you know, feel free. I'm assuming that's how the conversation went. I would imagine that based on I mean, Voyager started off strong. So, yeah, he was probably golden boy. Yeah. And even before it started up, it, it had to be because his next show came out like within months of Voyager. Yeah. And that was Legend. Yes. Starring Richard Dean Anderson and uh, um, John, John Delancey. Delancey. Yes. 
And I mean, I guess we could have, we we could have given a synopsis of Deep Space Nine and Voyager, but I'm assuming most people who listen to this show have at least heard of Voyager and have at least seen one or two episodes of Deep Space Nine. Probably they have at least a passing fancy yeah. with it. Yeah. They may not have seen Legend. Yes. I don't I don't know that it, yeah, it wouldn't be a fair presumption. So <laughs> Legend is uh basically not MacGyver, but the guy who played him is an author who has created a character uh who is very, very popular and he makes public appearances as this character. But of course, and you know, you mentioned uh the old timey trope from Voyager. This is sort of an old timey trope too. He's appearances are not the same as reality. He's sort of a drunkard and a lout and not a trustworthy person. He's he's basically the antithesis of everything he's created with this character. And he gets into a spot of legal trouble because somebody in his name or in the character's name uh did something to help out some local farmers that annoyed a uh, a rich land baron. And uh, he comes to find out that it is this Nikola Tesla-type figure played by John DeLancey. And so they team up, and hijinks ensue. Exactly. Well, I mean, I don't know. What did you think about Legend? Uh, it, was, it was a show that I didn't watch at the time, but watching it now, it, it was like a fond reminiscence of everything my father loved. And so I enjoyed it. But it, it was very much through that nostalgic lens of it felt like I was sitting down on the couch with my dad again. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I did not really watch the show when it aired either, but I, I checked it out for this, and uh, I, I think that it's really good. I mean, you know, you talked about how like Caretaker felt like uh, a complete sort of story, a complete movie, um, in some ways, and I, I got that impression from from Legend as well. I mean, surely it ends with now we get to go on all sorts of adventures, but if you take out like that last, you know that last little scene it it could very well be just its own standalone thing and um i think it's 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 a pretty interesting thing um it seems like it would be fun um it seems like it would be funny and you know richard dean anderson is really good john delancey you know gets to ham it up he's he's really good he's really good at hamming it up and um yeah i mean I, i i i think that is pretty solid Probably not as good as his Star Trek stuff, but better than the the fate it it received. Yeah, it's unfortunate because the thing is, while Voyager kicked off UPN, UPN quickly found itself in quite a bit of trouble because of all of the management issues that they had. Yeah, and I think that Legend, if it were on another network, would have gotten at least another season more. It would yeah. have been given a chance to establish. Because it's before you know the, the current age where you have to have your audience with, by the end of the first hour. Like they would have given it time to find its feet and succeed, I think. Yeah, or at least I, given it a shot. It's it's like a completely different world now because like a show like that can you know gain buzz on the internet and stuff like that, and you know having people like Richard Dean Anderson and John Delancey in it are like immediate sort of like buzz yeah. things, whereas it's like. You know, this show is on a network which didn't even exist a couple months prior, and no one tunes into this network to see anything other than Voyager and, you know, Pigsty on occasion. And, (laughs) you know, it's like, well, where is it? What what is it? You know, not to mention that it's like a 
a mid mid season replacement, you know, because for or whatever you want to call it, because yeah. you know Voyager started up in January, which would essentially be the equivalent of like a mid season replacement. I mean, it was designed that way, whatever. Uh, and then this started up in like March or April, and while we do have a full, you know, television years worth of programming now, we didn't back then. Yeah. Not not really. So this was, you know, no one even knew to look for this thing, let alone watch it. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously uh, discussion for another place in time, but just sort of the way UPN launched itself was it's so different from the way f- the Fox network established itself, which was Fox built it gradually and then had a little bit of controversy to help spur it on along with Tracy Ullman. Whereas mm-hmm. UPN said, here's some Star Trek, and we don't know what else we're going to put on. We'll just keep throwing things up there. And it's like they didn't give a chance for Buzz to build, and they didn't, you know, they had the Star Trek audience, but they were very much in need of having that one other thing. Like Married with Children for Fox, along with The Simpsons and Tracy yeah. Ullman. Like, UPN just had Star Trek. But anyway, I'm going down that rabbit hole. But, like, you know, UPN just had Star Trek, and then they just didn't know what else they wanted to put up as the counterpoint to it to draw people in. Yep. Yep. It's unfortunate, but, you know, what can you do? So, at this point, uh, Pillar had pretty much left Star Trek, you know, left the lot and started started up on his own, started developing his own stuff and everything like that. And the next pilot, which he had, uh, which made it to air, was The Dead Zone in yeah. 2002, 2001, 2002? Yeah, I think it was 2002. Yeah. Yeah. Which was on the USA Network. So, yeah, Dead Zone, based on a, well, you could say based on a movie, based on a book, or just based on a book. I don't know. Let's just say based on a book well, that had yeah. a movie. Yeah, the movie is a self-contained plot, whereas, yeah, the the show definitely had uh, more uh, episodic tales to tell than that. So, I'll, yeah, I'll agree with you, based on the book. Okay, based on the book. Yeah. Um, this was a Stephen King book, mm-hmm. and it starred Anthony Michael Hall and Nicole DeBoer as, uh, well... Anthony Michael Hall is a guy, a teacher, who's in a car accident, and he goes into a coma, and when he gets out of the coma, he has mind powers. He has the ability to see the future when he makes physical contact with somebody. There you go. But that's the key, is he has to make skin-on-skin contact with the person in order to experience this magical power of his. Right. And, uh, you know, this can... Uh, be a blessing and a curse, as you might imagine. And uh, as the series progresses, there's a whole thing where there's a a, a politician who's trying to uh, rise to power, and if he does, he's going to destroy the world. Yes, yes, he has visions of less than positive things happening if this guy gets into office, yeah. which is from the book. Yes, yes, yeah. and and is also in the movie. Um, But in a kind of different way. So the pilot, though, basically takes a, I don't know, what would you call it? It's not really a subplot, is it? Uh, It's it's, it's almost like the book is sort of episodic from what I understand. 
and the and the first episode of the show is basically the first episode of the book. Yeah. Well, I mean, yes, he as with any sort of king thing, like the character goes through a series of events where each one building on the last. So, yeah, you're right. It is sort of episodic. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the, the first episode draws from that. So, uh, yeah. So what did you think about the pilot? Loved it. I did. I, re- I really loved it. It was um, I remember the buzz that this show had. It helped establish the USA Network. Um, Monk was on USA Network too, right? Yeah. Because I remember Dead Zone and Monk got, like, it, it was a lot of buzz for, for both of those shows. I didn't really watch this at the time, but I remember it getting, you know, a lot of positive reviews, and I really enjoyed it. I did. Yeah, I didn't really watch it at the time either. It was one of the shows that I wanted to watch, but, you know, college, it's like, come yeah. on. I don't have time to be watching shows. Are you kidding me? I like. I remember like recording the pilot, and I think I watched the pilot uh, when it aired, um, but I didn't watch anything beyond that. And going back and and seeing the pilot again, rewatching it for the first time, or whatever you want to say, I, I thought it was pretty uh, pretty great. And having just seen the the movie, I thought it was really interesting how they chose to sort of break this down and not do like a full adaptation of the movie, but just an adaptation of part of the movie, which was part of the book. And like that little piece makes a great pilot and doesn't sort of like, you know, blow the entire thing, uh, which you can sort of build up over time. Yeah. It's pretty smart. And, you know, we, we talked about that, about how that's sort of a new way, it seems, of, of doing things uh, on television and uh, in terms of adapting movies or TV shows. I mean, I'm sorry, movies or books. And uh, it seems to be pretty effective. And it seems like Pillar was ahead of the curve on this one. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I it- it really is. It's engaging. It's on Hulu. And so yeah. I, I encourage anybody to go out and, and catch the pilot. If you, I, I guarantee you, you'll find yourself hooked and you'll watch another couple episodes at least. Yeah, yeah. It's really solid. And, you yeah. know, even though he's not in the pilot, the politician is played by Sean Patrick Flannery. Oh, you know, yeah. Young Indiana Jones himself. Dreamy, dreamy. Yeah, yeah. And we must mention David Ogden Stiers is in it as well. So Cogsworth is in it as a uh, typical... Uh, sort of Stephen King, uh, Northeast preacher, let's call him. Yeah, 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 which is cool. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, the final Michael Pillar pilot was for Wildfire, uh, a show which aired on ABC Family in 2005. Uh, same production company and everything that... that uh, put out dead zone you know his own production company you know him and his son doing their thing and this was a quite different show for pillar it was not science fiction it was more young adultish and it was about uh a girl or a woman an 18 year old who uh is getting out of juvenile detention for like what stealing a car or something like that and yeah, something like that. Yeah. And she gets a job working on a horse ranch and basically uh, learns that that's the love of her life. That's her life's passion. That's what she wants to do. And that she's going to turn her, her life around 
and dedicate it to horses, one horse in particular, whose name is Wildfire. There you go. And it has a really good cast, including Nana Visitor. Yeah, another Deep Space Niner. They've all got Star Trek people in them. All Deep Space Nine people, too, to some extent, if you want to count John Delancey as a Deep Space Nine person. Yeah, I mean, he would, yeah, he's the, uh, you know, Q, is, Cisco is the only person to ever punch Q, so yeah. There you, you know. go, there you go. So yeah, I mean, that's it's kind of cool that, that he did that, you know. I mean, it makes sense from a, a sort of business standpoint, trying to get in your new viewers and yeah. stuff like that. But, it, you know, it's also one of those things, I mean, you see it all the time with, uh, filmmakers and, and TV people where it's like you work with someone and you know that they're good, so you work with them again. You develop a relationship with them and you, you exploit that, you know? Yeah. It makes sense. And, they, and additionally, they know how to work with you and they know what is going to be expected of them. Yeah. And what, what type of project it will wind up being and that sort of stuff. Exactly. Exactly. So what did you think about Wildfire? I was not the target demographic. But <laughs> it was still... Uh, it was, you know, it was still pretty clever. I mean, you know, it's it's a teen show. It really is. It's got all of the drama, and it's got, you know, the girl who needs to turn her life around, and you know, the heart throbs that are, you know, going to test her her love, and the strict mentor and the mother. You know, all of the, all of the archetypes are there, and it's all set up. And of course, everybody's just a big dysfunctional family, but they're united by one common bond, Mike. And that's love. Well, it is the most important thing, right? I think so. It's, it's all you need. It's yeah. all you need. It's the glue, <laughs> which is made at the horse factory. <laughs> no. uh, Wildfire was made of love. <laughs> yes, that is exactly right. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, it's interesting what you say. You weren't the target demographic and everything. And, and it, it really does feel like sort of a, a um, teen show, you know, like like you're saying. It reminds me of uh, this book that I'm reading now called Lost Stars. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. It's it's kind of interesting. But the other interesting thing about that is, you know, I mean, like in, in, in I know it's slightly different because we're talking about books instead of television shows. But, you know, in my quest to uh, to uh, figure out whether or not to read Lost Stars, I stumbled upon the definition of young adult because to me it was like, well, books at a certain reading level. Apparently that's not the case. Apparently it's like books geared towards a certain demographic, which is something which I find to be kind of always found that to be stupid. And I know they say like, that's the first thing you learn and writing is, you know, know your audience or whatever. And it's like, yeah, but I don't know, as someone who consumes like all movies, like I don't, like people say, like it's a chick flick, and I'm like, what does that even mean? That doesn't make any sense to me. You know, what is a good movie or a bad movie? I'm gonna watch it or I'm not. You know, I'm probably gonna watch it. And and there's, I mean, uh, with extreme exceptions like Barney the Dinosaur or something like that, I don't really see anything. Have as some being... kids, you'll learn to appreciate Barney. See, I'm gonna I mean, leave, I'm gonna leave that, that one right there. You'll learn to ap- appreciate Barney, but like you've got a, a a freaking minion hanging up above your head there. You know, and don't don't go down this road. Minions are awesome. Look, don't go down this road. They are no. not for kids. They are they are prime humor for all. This is well. This is what I'm saying. Well, I may not share your opinion on on minions. What I'm saying is like that's a. 
I mean, certainly there's, I mean, I've seen the trailers and everything and there's certainly stuff in there, which is not geared towards kids. It's geared towards the adults who are sitting there watching it too, you know? Yeah, like Looney like, Tunes. Like these jokes will go over their heads, but you'll catch them and be like, hey, that was a funny joke. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's yes. like, what, what does that mean? That, what does young adult mean? I don't get it. You know, I just don't get it. So yeah. it, let, let's put it this way. You, you, you're bringing it up by way of, of lost stars. But I would say that uh, young adult typically would be something like the first couple Harry Potter novels. Well, they're not going to be they're not going to be overly complex. The emotions are going to be in somewhat broader strokes than like something by Nabokov. <laughs> and, you know, it's going to be a little bit less complex than that. But I mean, that was like what it, it, when I was like being explained by by Drew and, and some other people on Twitter, you know, what young adult was, they kept on saying like, well, Harry Potter's young adult. And I'm like, really? That that's that's young adult. OK, well, yeah. then, then that to me means it, it's it's meaningless. You know, it, it's it's just another book, you know? No, because the Harry. Well, I mean, the Harry Potter books sort of grew up as the character grew up. So like okay. that. That's sort of a series that uh, comes to transcend the genres because it starts as one thing and metamorphizes into a beautiful thing by the end. It's a little butterfly of a, of a book series, although the last book was sort of disappointing. The fifth one's the best. But <laughs> the entire thing goes through this journey, whereas typically like Twilight would be a better example of what is traditionally known as young adult, where yeah. it is very much mired in the... Uh, wild hormones of a certain age range uh over other things and that's fine to me you know i mean i don't you know i mean that's i you know that's just another oh, i'm not judging i'm yeah. not judging i'm just saying yeah and i mean but i mean like that's not you know it's not like it's you know it's not like it's barney you know it's yeah yeah so i don't know well i mean barney is kids young adult is well, I you're know, not but, ready to pay a mortgage, but you're not in diapers anymore. But what I'm saying is, like, Barney is, like, dealing with, you know, I mean, or maybe Sesame Street is a better example or something where it's, like, dealing with, like, you know, the primary goal here is to teach people how to count. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I mean, it's it's like a slightly different scenario, you know? <laughs> I mean, I guess you could say that it's just sort of like degrees and when you get to young adult. But then, you know, you hear people say like, like someone was like, well, Hunger Games is young adult. I'm like, there's a lot of like really complex, like uh, societal stuff going on in Hunger yeah. Games, you know. So Beowulf whatever. used to be a bedtime story, though. So. Beowulf? Yeah. yeah. Beowulf was a story that people told around the campfire. OK. And he, he beat the monster to death with its own arm. Now go to bed. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's good. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, my point here, all of this, bringing this all <laughs> back that. to Wildfire is, you know, <laughs> I can appreciate shows like Wildfire, you know, without without being the target demographic. You know, I sure. mean, we, last week we talked about briefly my love for, for Dawson's Creek, which which uh, which is it runs deep for season one. And then as soon as season two starts up, I'm like, what's this crap? But. <laughs> season one amazing you know and here you know wildfire getting the same director to direct the pilot you know and, and everything yeah. and, and 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 all that stuff and I, I i appreciate it even though i i could not care less about horses um i i did like what they were doing on this show um and when i when you put like that much talent in front of the camera it, it makes 
this type of thing easy to watch. You know, you've got Nana yeah. Visitor and Dennis Weaver sitting there, you know, just oh, yeah. chat, chatting away, chatting. It's like, oh, I'll watch that, you know? Why yeah, sure. You? I mean, you know, that's, uh, you're right. It's a lot of good talent. Yeah. Some some of those some of those shots of the uh, the people on the horses while the horses are running the process shots eh. limitations of the time yeah you know I was like oh, no, you had me you had me here <laughs> you lost I me. didn't I didn't need the close up <laughs> you could I know who that is on the horse but aside from that and that's a minor a very very minor uh, criticism I, I did think it was really good and I also liked how like we were saying before it is sort of a self-contained uh, story yep. you know so that's that's pretty cool man yeah. so that's it Deep Space Nine Voyager Legend The Dead Zone and Wildfire uh, so if you had to if you had to pick your favorite what would it be? well I mean come on it's always going to be Deep Space Nine, just for nostalgia's sake. I mean, you, can, you know, it's a hell of a drug. You can't get rid of it. So, uh, you know, but I, I have to, I can't eat my own words. Voyager pilot is the best one. Yeah, it's a toss-up for me. I think that uh, the Deep Space Nine pilot has uh, done a better job uh, standing the test of time. Uh, but I do think that the Voyager pilot is spot on as well, you know. Although I I liked all of them, there wasn't a single one which I disliked. So, yeah, that's true. I'd have to say if you say I can't pick one of the Star Trek ones, I'll give it to Dead Zone because that was the one that engaged me the most. Yeah, I would definitely. I mean, I guess my ranking would be Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Dead Zone, then probably Wildfire, and then Legend. Honestly, yeah, I I wouldn't disagree with that ranking. Yeah, yeah, that's good stuff. Um, there you go. Yeah, I mean, he, he's kind of, I mean, it, it's it's strange. I mean, I guess it's it's it kind of speaks to it being a different time and also probably speaks to just sort of the economics of television writing and everything. But it wasn't a time where there were celebrity showrunners like there are now, you know? Yeah. But he would have been one for his work on Next Gen. Sure. Because he's the guy who, one of the guys who saved Star Trek, you know? And, and, and then he, you know, goes off and makes Steve Space Nine, which just makes sense. And then to leave that and do Voyager, there's a certain amount of sense. And then to leave that to do his own thing, there's a certain amount of sense. But then to leave that and then do another thing and leave that and do another thing, it really is sort of like he's about the creation. He's about, you know, he's an idea guy, you know. And he comes yeah, up with these fair. great ideas, and then he hands them off and lets other people turn them into the best shows of all time. Or Insurrection. Yeah, but that wasn't his fault. That so. wasn't his fault. We are not blaming him for it. No. No. So, yeah, on the whole, I mean, I think he's kind of a master at this particular skill set. Oh, he's a master at a lot of skill sets, you know. I mean, shit, the guy wrote Best of Both Worlds, okay? but And launched... How many careers yeah. in television that are still around today? Yeah, and a network. <laughs> and, and what have you done today? <laughs> I have not launched a network. <laughs> yeah, I know it's crazy. He's 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 in, he's insanely talented. Um, but it, it just in terms of this very specific thing, you know, being a, yeah. a television pilot writer, he is truly a master. It's crazy. Agreed. Yeah. 
And he will be missed. Very much. But an indelible mark left. And can you really ask for more? Nope. Nope. Yeah. It's pretty great. Well, it's been fun talking about Michael Pillar today. But this isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on Trek FM this week. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. And the Slaver Weapon's the only episode of the original with uh, no Kirk in it. No, I'm not there no yet. Kirk Spoilers. There? Wait, there's no Kirk in that one? I, 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 no. I didn't even know. I'm going to have to it, check that it out. It completely takes place starting off with the shuttlecraft and only the people that are in the shuttle. Earl Grey. Contraction free, it's soon's guarantee. <laughs> I've got to get married? <laughs> no. The Orb. Well, apparently, and did you find this interesting, Matthew? Apparently, the Navark reports directly to the prophets. Which is awkward, because they don't always show up for meetings, so... Right. Yeah. Plus, you never know what time the meeting is really going to be, right? That is true. It could have been yesterday, and you might have missed it. The Ready Room. Do you think this episode would have been so popular and remain a fan favorite if the Enterprise had been overrun with zebra mussels? <laughs> to the journey it's it's so average american it's like joe smith and no offense to joe smith it's just i could have tried a little harder i mean come on might as well call her jane doe so far not off to a good start so far i'm judging you shark give me a moment give me a moment commentary trek stars he just went into so much research about the details of putting together like the historical context of this show that it was really sort of astounding. The 602 Club. The young adult novels have their own um, framing devices that tie in to The Force Awakens. And I think that if they had uh, put those front and center, maybe even expanded one of them uh, or what have you, I think that would have served the strategy better. I definitely do. Literary Treks. Well, that really is the bottom line, you know, and and I think it's particularly uh, difficult with this group of characters because in some ways you're looking at folks who literally are the brightest and the best, right? So um, in some ways we need them not to have feet of clay. We need them to be so much better and stronger than we are so that we have something to shoot for. Women at Warp. There's always a touchstone, and this was as close to a touchstone as they ever got with Pulaski. Plus, she banged Riker's dad. <laughs> oh, Andy. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just think it's so funny. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us everywhere you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search iTunes. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. Also, leave us a review on iTunes. It helps us out. It's fun. You get to practice your writing skills. You yes. can rate us anything you want. Five and stars. It's five. actually been disabled. Anything less is disabled for this show. <laughs> so, so yeah, go, go over there and, and leave us a review, and we'll read it on the air. 
Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find all of our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trek.fm. If you want to contact us, you can fill out the form on trek.fm slash contact, or you can leave us a voicemail. Just look in the sidebar of our show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. On Twitter, you can find the network at trek.fm, or uh, you can find the network on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. Facebook is also where you can find the Babel Conference, which is our forum for listeners and hosts, uh, where we talk about how awesome the animated series is, or how terrible it is, or any of those things. Um, You can find that if you go to Facebook and then in the search field, just type in the Babel Conference, which is uh, spelled B-A-B-E-L. Or you can go to our website at trek.fm and click on the discussion tab in the menu bar. John, where can people find you on the internet? Well, they can find me on Twitter at KesselJunkie, K-E-S-S-E-L-J-U-N-K-I-E. Or they can find me on a delightful little podcast known as Words with Nerves that drops every Thursday on iTunes, Stitcher, etc., etc. And you can find me right here on trek.fm doing Standard Orbit. And you can find me on CommentaryTrackStars.com doing commentary track star babies and you can find me on twitter at mumbles 3k or you can find the show on twitter at com track stars or you can email us directly at com track stars at gmail.com before we go we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps us bring commentary track stars and all of our shows to you each week and our sponsor for this show is audible.com Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have the time for. What book do you have for us this week, John? Well, so long as you were going to mention Star Wars Lost Stars, the uh, young adult novel that's entered into the Star Wars canon uh, as of late, uh, I'm going to go ahead and recommend that one. And the synopsis is, This thrilling young adult novel gives listeners a macro view of some of the most important events in the Star Wars universe, from the rise of the Rebellion to the fall of the... Wait, 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 wait. Hang on, I'm taking off my headphones because I don't want any spoilers. Okay, continue. Oh, there's no spoilers in here. Okay. Uh, Listeners will experience these major moments through the eyes of two childhood friends, Sienna Ree and Thane Kyrell, who have grown up to become an Imperial officer and a rebel pilot. Now on opposite sides of the war, will these two star-crossed lovers reunite, or will duty tear them and the galaxy apart? Star Wars Lost Stars also includes all new post-Star Wars Return of the Jedi content, as well as hints and clues about the upcoming film Star Wars The Force Awakens, making this a must-listen for all Star Wars fans. All right, yeah, see, because, like, I had read the description, and I'm like, it takes place eight years after Jedi. And I'm like, cool. And then I start reading the book, and it's like, it takes place eight years. Actually, I was listening on Audible. Yeah, for real. For real, I was. And they're like, this takes place eight years after Revenge of the Sith. And I'm like, what? Come on. That's weak sauce. 
and then it keeps on going and i'm like oh it's continuing oh i wonder how maybe by the end we'll get to eight years after return of the jedi i don't know i honestly have no idea and i don't want to know it's a key part of the journey to the force awakens okay right now i am 12 i think i'm 17 months after a new hope ah yeah you got some time to go yet but uh yeah, I'm 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 intrigued to see where it's going. Also, after our conversation last week, I'll have you know that you know because I have that thing, you know, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> contrarianism. <laughs> no obsession or okay. whatever. I don't know. Um, you know, I I uh, you're like you need to read these these little kid books, and I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm the like, other ones. Okay, well, if I'm going to read those little kid books, then that means I need to read all of the little kid books, which means these Servants of the Empire Rebels novels, especially since they're written by, like, one of the dudes who wrote one of these other books, like, I need to read those. And, like, I bought those back in the day when I was like, am I going to read everything? I'm going to read everything. I I am. And then I bought it, and I'm like, I'm not going to read this. So then I'm like, (laughs) I need to find this book. So I spent, well, these two books. So I found the first one right away, but I spent like two hours tearing apart my place looking for the other one without any success. And finally just said, screw it. I'll, I'll pay the five bucks and get it on the Kindle, you there know, you go. so I'll never have to do this again. So thanks. Thanks. You're welcome. It was a fun way to spend a Saturday night. <laughs> See, I would have given up way before two hours. I would look for two minutes. I'd be like, oh, I'll just buy it again, whatever. Yeah, that was the way to go. Yep. Anyway, uh, since you're a listener to Trek FM, you can get Lost Stars or any other book for free. As a Trek FM listener, you can get an audio book of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we thank Audible for supporting commentary, Trek Stars, and the network. All right. Michael Pillar, that's taken care of. Good good times, finally, finally able to do that. Yeah. Thanks a lot to Larry Nemechek and Eric Stilwell for joining us on this journey. It was great to have them along. And, yeah, next week we're going to be starting up a new series. Kind of a weird sort of duo series. And, oh, by the way, if you think that... That, you know, you're going to send us something and we're not going to listen to what you say. Think again, because um, someone tweeted us and said, hey, have you guys ever done Robert Block? And I'm like, no, but I've always thought it would be really cool to do a Robert Block, Joseph Stefano combo. Because one of them wrote the novel cycle and one of them wrote the movie cycle and they both wrote for Star Trek and (laughs) It's good, right? It ties together very nicely. So next week, we're going to talk about Robert Block and Joseph Stefano and what they wrote on Star Trek. 